You're listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. Well, if you want to make your trip to the zoo more memorable, I would recommend going at the end of the day around feeding time and to go dressed from head to toe in all burlap. I did this once many years ago in Houston. Uh, I was dressed as a shepherd. The details of why don't really matter, but what happened was I realized when you show up covered in burlap, animals think you look like a big living feed bag and it has an impact. And so it was fascinating. I walked past the donkeys and they would run alongside next to me bucking. Uh, The giraffes were trying to lean over to nibble on me. Uh, I went into the petting zoo and as soon as I walked in, the sheep and goats separated. The sheep ran as far away as possible and the goats surrounded me. And I was like, this feels biblical, but I feel like I'm on the wrong side of this. Like it was just a fascinating thing. And yet here's the crazy thing. That was not the most memorable thing that happened that day. Because I did that, but then right before the zoo closed, a lion jumped up on this rock and let out a loud roar. And as soon as he did that, the tiger that was in the cage next door just started pacing. But not like a, I'm bored pacing, more like a, that's what's up, man, I'm feeling that kind of pacing. Like, okay, okay, you feeling this? Because I'm feeling it. And he starts getting amped and then the monkeys all lose it. Like all their cages, they're shaking it like, ah, ah, ah. And then all the birds erupt in a cacophony of sound and every human being was dead silent. And suddenly nobody cared about the dude in burlap anymore. Because novelty dissipates in the presence of majesty. Now, why do I say that? Because we've been in this series called Roar and we're talking about that. I wanna live a life of significance, a life of boldness that has an impact. When a lion roars, it shifts the culture. It changes the atmosphere, it demands attention. And we want a life like that. We don't want a life that just kind of passes through. We want an indelible impact. Every human being, no matter how bold and loud or quiet and reserved you are, we want to have a life that makes a difference. Meaninglessness is unacceptable to the human soul. I remember reading a poem when I was in elementary school uh, by John Updike. And it says, men past 40 get up nights. And look out at city lights, wondering where they made the wrong turn and why life is so long. And I remember at 10 years old reading that and thinking, that is the worst poem I have ever heard in my life. Like, I don't want that to be true. Like, I don't want that life. I don't want to wonder where it all went wrong. I want to be in the dead center of making an impact in this world. That's what I want. And what's fascinating is what we want Paul just told the Thessalonians, he's God. Did you catch that in verse one? He says, we want you to know, he says, you know, brothers, that our arrival among you was not in vain. He said, you know, you saw it. When we came to your city, our presence, it had purpose and it had power. That our arrival had an impact. That our existence had it made a difference that he said, man, you know this. When we came into your city, we did not leave that city unchanged. Our life had purpose and we all want an experience like that. We want to be people whose lives make a difference. Frederick Douglass, fascinating. At the end of his life, 
he really wanted to walk where the Apostle Paul walked. And he had the opportunity to travel to Italy. And when he went there, he said, I cared not for the sermons of priests of this day. I want to hear the messages of the Apostle Paul. And he would read the letters of Paul and the places Paul preached. And he said, I want to walk along the Appian Way. But then as he went to South Italy, he wrote this about the experience. He said, what interested me most was the fact that as I was looking upon the country seen 1,800 years ago by this prisoner apostle on his way to Rome to answer for his religion, it somehow gave me a more vivid impression of the heroism of the man as I looked upon the grand ruins of the religion against which Paul dared to preach. He said, I looked at what the apostle Paul did, how he changed Rome with his boldness, and he said, I was stunned by the heroism of that man. This is Frederick Douglass talking. Frederick Douglass, who stared down slavery in America, is saying, I am stunned by the heroism of Paul and the culture-shaping power of this man. And why want a life like that? And what's crazy about that is the same man that inspired Frederick Douglass, we just read about his life. In this moment in 1 Thessalonians, he's telling them what he was like. And some of his language, you can tell, is kind of answering his critics. Some of it is him trying to distance from the tactics of false teachers. But at the end of the day, what we get is we get a window into the profile of a purposeful life. Here's somebody that made a difference in the world. And if you want to live a life like that, here's how it's done. And when you look at it, you see in verse 2, he says, Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. He said, we, were, we suffered and were shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know. And he doesn't go into the details, but in the book of Acts, we get the details. That when Paul went to Philippi, he was there and there was a girl trailing him at one time that was a slave to some men and also possessed by a demon. And Paul set her free. And her masters did not like that. And so they got a mob to attack Paul. They dragged Paul and his uh, friends into the middle of the marketplace. And when the government got involved, they stripped Paul and his friends in front of everybody and beat them with rods and then threw them in prison. Bad day. They made it out of there. And then Paul says, then we went to you, the neighboring city. It would be like me saying, man, we planted a church in Baltimore and they stripped us naked and beat us with rods in the middle of it. So we came here to DC. And you're like, okay. And you're like, what would you do? If you preached a message and got caned, would you dial it back a bit in the next city? Just kind of throttle back some? Paul says, no, when we showed up, we hit the gas. And he said, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. See, here's the reality. Boldness is a requirement for significance. If you want a life of significance, we need boldness. Boldness is a requirement for significance. You don't change the culture by floating along in its stream. You swim against it, and by doing so, you're going to have to feel some resistance. And a lot of us are scared to do that. We're not particularly bold people. Why? Because we're scared. We, someone may not like us. These people may not enjoy us. Man, we may get in trouble. But Paul looks and says, hey, we got beating, and a beating wouldn't stop us. We kept moving forward. And that boldness is a requirement for its significance. So how did he get it? Well, it's interesting, he says it. We had boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God. And what I love about that is that's transferable to us because boldness is the birthright of a believer. Do you know that? 
And boldness is our birthright. You can have boldness like this. It's not a temperament. He says, we had boldness in our God. It's funny, when I was preparing this message, I kept trying to like cut and paste this text out of my little uh, Bible app into my notes. And every time I was trying to highlight it, it kept like giving me the definition of the word in, boldness in our God. I'm like, I don't want the definition of the word in. I'm trying to cut and paste, man. And I did it like five times. I was like, all right, fine. So I finally read the definition of the word in. And... Um, <laughs> It means something enclosed or surrounded by something else. And he says, we are confident people. Why? Because we are enclosed and surrounded by God. And God is the source of our boldness. There's a root to our roar. And here's the crazy thing about it. The word boldness in the Old Testament is used a lot. And almost every single time it's used, the word used most often, it points back to something your confidence is rooted in that our boldness has its basis in belief. And in the Old Testament, you can put that confidence in bad things, in your money, which is transient, in shady business practices, which won't last, in your army, which may fade. He said, you can put your boldness in the wrong thing, but the book of Psalms that uses the word most often says our boldness is properly placed in belief in God who is unshakable. And when we know him, we can have boldness. Proverbs 28 says it this way, the wicked flee though no one pursues. You got a guilty conscience? You're always anxious and self-conscious. But then it says the righteous are as bold as a lion. When you know you're right with God, that gives you boldness to step into God's world. When I know I'm right with him, I can be a bold person. And what's amazing about that is that's a gift of God. We get boldness in him because he's made us right. That's what Hebrews 10 says. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. I have a boldness to come before God. Why? Because Jesus paid it all for me that I was a mess, I was a sinner, I was locked up in shame, but Jesus took all my sin and lived the perfect life I could not. And so I have boldness and confidence before God. Why? Because Jesus paid it all for me. And so Ephesians 3 says, in him, we have confidence and boldness with access through our faith in him, that the finished work of Jesus gives me confidence to enter into the presence of God, that he loves me, he's forgiven me, he welcomes me into the family. My children have no problem when I come home running up to me and leaping into my arms. They don't check it with self-consciousness. Why? Because they know I am strong enough to hold them and loving enough to want to. And the fact that they know I love them gives them boldness. And Paul says we have boldness in our God. Our boldness is rooted in belief. Our roar has a root in what God has done on our behalf. But then here's the crazy thing. He says, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God. What's crazy about that is boldness has a root in the Bible, but boldness also has a result. All through the scripture, it doesn't say we were bold to feel good about ourselves and just live our dreams. Like it doesn't say that. Like all through the New Testament, the word used most often for boldness means to speak without reticence to speak openly and clearly. It doesn't point back to what your boldness is rooted in. It points to the boldness's result, that God puts boldness in you for a purpose. And the greatest purpose, if you wanna live a life of significance, the best thing in existence is God. And so the best thing you can give people is the knowledge of him. And so God says, I'm putting boldness in my believers for a purpose so they can boldly proclaim the good news that God loves them and has a purpose for them. Our roar has a root and our roar has a result. We are meant to speak it out. And you see all through the New Testament, that happens. 
In the book of Acts, when the spirit of God fills Peter and John and the first disciples, it says, and they spoke boldly and it astonished the crowd. And they said, those people have been with Jesus. And as they begin to face persecution and the early church starts to get persecuted by the government, they pull together and they start praying in the book of Acts. And they're not praying like, God, we're just trying to help people and everyone's being mean to us and I don't like it. They just say, Lord, this is hard but give us boldness to proclaim this message and give us boldness in our God. And they started praying and says the building shook and they went and spoke with boldness. And then all through the book of Acts, you see it. Boldness in Iconium, boldness in Damascus, boldness in Jerusalem, boldness throughout that the people who know God have a boldness to speak about God to the world. And they even pray it. Pray that I would proclaim the gospel boldly as I should, Paul told the Ephesians. Our roar is rooted and our roar has a result. I have boldness in God to declare the gospel of God and much conflict is not gonna stop me. So this message is about a life of significance, but the most significance you can have is telling people the good news of what God has done on their behalf in Jesus. Now, I know as soon as I say that, some of you are like, oh, okay, so this is an evangelism talk. I should tell my friends about Jesus? No. No, see, I don't do that. See, I'm an Enneagram 14, and uh, we, we don't say things out loud in front of three or more people. Like, I can't do that. And, and let me just say this. I get it. Like, I have, it's, it's not severe, but but it's, common for me to get like a social anxiety talking with people, which no one ever believes me when I say that because they're like, you're up on stage. And I'm like, yeah, this is a monologue, basically. <laughs> it's when we're hanging out one-on-one. -on -one, I'm like, so everything else okay? Like I get a little lost. And so I understand talking to people about Jesus can be really scary, right? And yet... There's a boldness in God that has a purpose in God, and I want to be a part of that. And so what's interesting is we're scared of maybe some social rejection. Paul's going to change the world, and a little beating didn't stop his boldness. And so I want us to live lives like this. I want this to be true of us. And so the secret Paul's going to give us is how you do it. You want a purposeful life? You want a significant life? It's going to require boldness. And Paul tells you what is going to help you get over the fear and to speak out in faith. He's gonna give us a couple reasons. You see it in verse three, he says, for, let me tell you the reason why I was bold. And he says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. He says, one thing that gives me confidence in this world is that my pure motive is motivation. He says, I know I'm not here to trick you. I'm not trying to deceive you. He said, I'm not misled and I'm not trying to mislead you. I don't have impure reasons. It's not that I'm preaching you this message, but really I'm trying to get your money. He said, I have pure motives. So why is he doing this? Why face a beating to tell people about Jesus? You see in verse four, he says, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. He says, why do I keep speaking this? Because it's a message from God. And God gave it to me and God entrusted it to me. And I'm convicted about that. What's gonna give you confidence? Confidence comes from conviction about the truth. This isn't a message I made up. This isn't something I hope is true. I'm convinced this is the word of God. And that conviction comes from a changed life. That's what Paul said. He said, I was appointed to this. I was something else before. And you read his story and you know, Paul was like, hey, I was a sinner and then God made me a saint through Jesus. I was a murderer and God turned me into a missionary. You'll get confidence when you have conviction. This message changes people. It changed my life. And Paul says, it changed me, I'm different. And as he speaks to them earlier in the book, he said, and it changed you. You saw in 1 Thessalonians 1, he says, brothers loved by God, you know he chose you 
Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. He said, you guys know what this was like. When this message came to you, it wasn't just words. It came with power and it changed you and you became like us. And we champion what changes us. We do, especially this time of year. We champion what changes us. Typically along the lines of diet and exercise. You've had friends that do this. Oh my gosh, I have this new diet. It's been amazing. I just eat nothing but lentils and I stare at brown rice and I have so much energy. I don't even need coffee at three o'clock. And you're like, wow, man, that's really amazing. I didn't ask you that, but that's really good to know that. And someone else is like, oh my gosh, I started this new exercise program. Like I used to get winded walking upstairs. Now I charge up like an antelope. And they're like, man, and you're like, okay, well sign me up. I'll do it. I'll go to the class. And people champion what's changed them. And we get confidence when we're convicted. This is something that can change you. And Paul says, we had boldness. Why? Because this is a message from God and it changed us. It's made us different and that makes us want to talk about it. I remember I had a pastor friend tell the story of, of a guy that was an alcoholic in his church and, and, and uh, really damaging, like spending all his family's money at, at the bar, not taking care of his wife and kids. And, and then someone told him about the grace of God in Jesus that can change anybody. He said the guy came to faith in Christ. And like a lot of people, God was changing his life. So he started to talk about it. And he told a friend about it. And the friend was like, I don't know, man. Like, I just don't know if I can believe everything in that book. Like miracles, Jesus walked on water, turned water into wine. Do you really believe that? And he said, the guy told him, well, you know, I'm new at this. I don't know if he turned water into wine. But I know in my life, he turned beer into furniture. He said, my life was going one way and God changed me and it's going another way. And you'll have the confidence to speak when you're convicted. This changed my life. This isn't a normal message. This word changes things. And I believe that. That's where the confidence comes from. We had a student when I first started in ministry, I was a youth pastor and we had a student that came to Christ and wanted to grow in his faith. And, and we started meeting weekly to talk about it and, and talk at this coffee shop. And then I started hitting some resistance in his life. And, and finally he confessed to me that he had a, an addiction to pornography. And I asked him, where does it get you? And he's like, my bedroom, late at night, I can't stop looking at it. And I was like, well, man, you gotta get it out of there. The Bible says make no provision for the flesh. That's a provision, get out of your room. And he said, I can't. What do you mean you can't? And he's like, well, my mom put it there. So if I move the computer, she's gonna ask me about it. And I don't wanna be like, just a little porn addiction, mom. He's like, I just don't really wanna have that conversation yet. And I was like, well, man, we gotta do something. And so. Finally, I just quit hammering the porn issue and just started talking to him about the beauties of Jesus and what it's like to know him. And I remember he came to my office one day and wasn't our normal time to meet, but he walked in and he was holding up his internet cord back when that's how you got internet. <laughs> and he put it on the desk and he said, here. He said, it's not gonna own me anymore. And he left. Next day, his best friend walked in. Heard you're collecting these. See you later. <laughs> and here's the crazy thing. This was my first ministry. And suddenly, the second largest constituency of high school students were from their high school, which was nowhere near our church. And you go, why? It wasn't because they showed back up with their Bibles and were like, hey, man, come here. Repent! It wasn't that. 
It was that friends started to ask them, what's different about your life? You seem lighter, you seem happier. And they were like, honestly, man, it's Jesus. He's changing me. And he's done something in my life. And people were like, I want to know that. And they had confidence to speak because they were convicted. This message has changed me. It's, it's making me something new. And some of you maybe have been to church for years and you don't really sing the songs because you're like, I know Jesus technically died for sin, but you don't really know what it is to really feel the depth of yours. And in that really sticky, sad place to know that his grace comes to you there and say, he met me at my lowest and loved me, that changes you. And when you know there's a God like that, you're gonna talk about it, man. Bono, you too, was in an interview and they started talking about Jesus and he says, Jesus claimed to be the son of God. It's what got him crucified. And then he said, now find it hard to accept that billions of lives have been touched by someone who is just nuts. And the interviewer said, so you think Jesus is divine? He said, yes. And he said, so you think he rose from the dead? And Bono said, yes. He said, I have no problem with miracles. And then he said, I live among them. And then he said, I am one. And when you have that kind of testimony, you're going to have a story to tell. That's how you talk about it. So just to let you know, I, I am very bold in the study when I write messages. And it's not because of myself. I'm not like, buckle up, America. Here comes Ben Stewart, right? Like that is not... <laughs> Billy Graham said it, over self-analyzation leads to depression. And I found that to be true. It's not about what I'm going to pull off. It's that I believe these are the very words of God that can work in you. And so I believe it and I can preach it because I believe it. And for me in my 20s, I struggled with that very much. And some of you, you don't need to suddenly go be an evangelist. You just need to suddenly go, I don't know what I believe and take it seriously. And God and I wrestled in my 20s. And I remember as I wrestled with intellectual questions, over time, God began to unearth some emotional issues I didn't even know were there for me. And over the course of time, I fell in love with him. And when that happened in my life, I started writing letters to my friends, telling them I want them to know God like I do. Wrote them letters because I was nervous to talk to them face-to-face. -face. Social anxiety thing I talked about earlier. But, but I wanted them to know it. And you'll have the confidence to speak when you have the conviction this changes lives. It changed mine. But there's another reason. Verse five, he says, for we never came to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretext of greed. God is our witness. We weren't trying to tell you things, good things about you to really get something from me. He said, we weren't greedy like that. We didn't seek glory from people. That's the word applause. He said, I didn't do this for the applause. He says, we didn't want a thing from you, though we could have made demands to the apostles of Christ. He was like, hey, there's biblical precedent for people in ministry to get paid. He said, but I didn't want money to get in the way of ministry, so we didn't take any money from y'all. And so he says in verse seven, but here was my motivation, but I was gentle among you. Like a nursing mother takes care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you'd become very dear to us. What's gonna give you confidence to tell your family, your friends about the God you know? It's going to be conviction that this is the truth and it's going to be compassion for them. Paul looks at them and says, hey man, the way we came to you, we were like nursing moms. Like he picks the most gentle imagery he can. We were like a mom with their little tender baby. 
a nursing mom, when that baby cries, she doesn't go, somebody going to get that? She knows that's my baby, and that baby, I have what she needs, and I'm going to move towards her. And that's how a human being is wired in that moment. Paul says, that's what we were like for you. And he said, because we were so affectionately desirous of you. He said, we long for you guys. He said, we long for you. Why? Because we shared with you not just the gospel, but our own selves, our own suke, our souls, our own lives. He said, because you become so dear to us. That word dear is agapetoi, the beloved ones. He says, you were beloved to us. And you will be bold with someone who is beloved. I will give you the truth if I care about you. There's two kinds of people that will be honest with you if your outfit's a mess. Someone who doesn't care about you at all. Hey man, that shirt's stupid. (laughs) Or someone who cares about you a lot. Hey, you misbuttoned. You're giving information to people they don't need. You might want to go fix that, honey. Like that's a good friend. That's a good friend that will speak the truth to you because they care about you. What will give you confidence to live a bold and significant life? Conviction, these words change things. And compassion, I care about them. So I know for me, when I first started preaching, I I would get nervous. Beforehand, real self-conscious about it and real anxious. And finally, after a while, I started to question that. Like, why am I so anxious? And I started to question, like, what is going on with that? And I realized, am I worried that God won't be glorified? Like, is that the root of the fear? Like, God, I'm just so afraid that your purposes might be thwarted today. Like, no, that's not really it. I was like, then what is it? And I realized, I'm not worried that God won't be glorified. I'm worried that I won't be glorified. I'm worried that you won't think I'm funny or smart or cool or whatever the goal was. And that's not the purpose of a sermon. So then I realized, well, I need to get out of that. And how do you get out of it? And so the popular theory at the time was just to focus on God. There's an audience of one, no one else here, audience of one. But I was like, no, there are a lot of people here. Like I can see them. Um, This doesn't really work. And so I read the gospels. And there's a moment where Jesus looks out at the crowd. He said, and when he saw them, they were like sheep without a shepherd. He says, and they were harassed and they were helpless. Harassed means something's constantly coming at you. And helpless means you lack the faculties to defend yourself. It's what I think of a lot when I think of young people and the onslaught of modern day technology and social media. It's a constant bombardment and they don't have the faculties to deal with it. And that's a lot of why we see rising anxiety in young people. He says, he looked at the crowd and he saw harassment and helplessness. And he didn't chide them, these kids today. It says he looked at the crowd and he had compassion on them. And so he taught them many things. That the motivation to speak for him was compassion, co-passion. I'm with you in the suffering. And so for me, what I do is often during worship, I'll turn and look out at you guys. And I'm looking out at you because I just start praying over the crowd because I know what people deal with. I know the struggles in our world and in this city and in many of your lives. I know it. And the more I start to pray about what you're going through, the more I care about you. And the more I care about you, I care a lot less about me. And the more I do that, I get more conviction. What I have will help you. And I care about you. And I have confidence because of conviction and because of compassion. I care about you. And you will feel the same way. You will. Compassion will move you to action. So it was fun, man. I preached in Atlanta last week and I used y'all as an illustration. I didn't think y'all would mind. And as I was doing it, I told him, hey man, we've been a year and a half rolling in DC and we had to 
had a third gathering and we ran out of chairs at the 1130. And as I said that, they all like erupted in cheers. It was very exciting, very cool. And I told them, I was like, you know what's crazy is we did a survey about a month ago of how did you get here? And 70% of you said a friend invited me. That somebody cared enough about me to say, I want you to be here. And compassion gave them confidence to say that. And I know for me, I remember when I was in college, I had a roommate that I, I just wanted to know God. God was changing my life and I wanted my roommate to know what I have. But I was nervous talking to him. And so I was upstairs pacing. I was just like, oh God, I can't do this. God, I can't do this. And I was like, no, I can do this. And I'd start going down the stairs. I'm like, nope, feels bad. And I would go back up the stairs and just kind of pace. And then finally I was like, I just want to tell him. And so I went downstairs and I had kind of forgotten that our house had very thin walls. So he had heard that entire performance. <laughs> so I came downstairs and he's like, you all right, man? And I was like, um, and like any technique flew out the window. I was like, man, I just, I just couldn't stop thinking about you up there and do you mind if I tell you about the most important thing in my life? And that sentence just came out. And I remember as I said that, he was like, no. Like, of course you can tell me about the most important thing in your life. And I was like, well, it's just that God is changing my life and I, and I want you to know him like I know him. And I just explained him the gospel as clearly as I could. About Jesus, the son of God, coming for us. Forgive us and give us life. And, you know, he didn't like put his faith in Jesus right there in that moment. But he thanked me at the end. He said, thanks for caring enough to share that with me. And I just think for us, what's going to motivate us to do what is going to last through eternity? Talk about the eternal words of God with the eternal souls of women and men. What's going to cause us to do that? Conviction that this is true and can change lives and convict compassion for you. And I want you to know him. That's what's going to change things. Jan Hus, the great proto-reformer of Czechoslovakia, has a statue in the middle of Prague. And at the bottom of it is the quote, love each other and desire the truth for everybody. Because those are linked. When I love you, I want the truth for you. Boldness when you're the beloved. And the last reason, verse 9. He says, you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we wouldn't be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You're witnesses in God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. I love that. He's like, man, we had the confidence of an ambassador. God trusted us with this message and we spoke it. We had the confidence of a mother. You're like my beloved child and I want the best for you. And now he says, and we had the confidence of a dad that we would exhort you and call out to you. Exhort, that word is parakaleo. Para means alongside and call out. I'm running next to you, calling to you, going, come on, walk with me into the kingdom. And I love that language because he just grabs the imagery of a dad that, you know, a lot of dads don't really know what to do with a baby, especially a nursing baby. There's limits to what dad can do, you know, so he's just more of a, you know, he's a background player. Like, what do you need, baby? You need, you need something out of the bag? Okay, what do you need in the bag? You rummage through the bag, like, all right, you need diapers? Where are the diapers? Why are there so many pockets? And dad is just kind of like, you know, uh, working the sidelines to this thing. But as soon as the kid gets the ability to start walking, Dad is like, okay, all right, okay, I can do this. And you're on the floor with him like, come on, man, believe in yourself, get there, all right? And then you're like holding their little hands like, I got you, I got you, okay, I don't got, okay, no, I got you. And you're doing that. I, my kids are at the age now where they're learning to ride bikes. 
And so we were out there on the streets of D.C., man. And I'm like holding on the back of the bike like, you can do this. Look, you're doing it. Okay, baby, daddy's got you. All right. And I'm just running alongside them, calling out to them. Come with me. Why am I doing that? Because I'm confident they can actually change. I'm confident they can walk. I'm confident they can ride. I'm confident they can move. And you'll be confident to tell your friends about God. Why? When you have the confidence that he can change their lives too. And see, it's interesting to say that because you're like, of course, God can change anything. But do you believe it's possible? I think for many of us, there are people that we don't. And I've talked about this here before. I remember for me growing up, I just thought God didn't enter Beeville, Texas. I thought he like stopped at the border. And I remember uh, when I'd go there visit my dad, there, there was one guy that I remember clearly as a kid deciding to hate him. He was, uh, he was a mean drunk. And I remember as a kid watching this guy and just making the decision, I hate this guy. And then years later, I was at a Christian retreat and it was a retreat where they encourage you by having all these people that know you write you letters while you're at the retreat, just telling you they love you and praying for you and what they're praying. And I didn't know where I opened this letter and it's that guy. And he's writing, he was like, hey man, like, he said, you know, I was destroying my life. And some friends told me that Jesus could forgive even me. He said, and I believed it. He said, can you believe that? He's changing me. And he said, you know what's crazy? He said, that hunting lease where I used to go on benders for multiple days, he said, now I drive around out there listening to worship music. And he's like, can you believe it? And I remember thinking, no. <laughs> no, I did not believe that was possible, which instantly sounded so dumb, like, but it's Beville, God. He's like, yeah, I kind of got Beville. And he's got your dad. And your friend and your coworker and that person, you're like, but you don't know that person. Yeah, but I think God has got it. And he can do anything. And he can change anybody. He changed me. He can change them. And when you believe that, that'll change you. And you'll get confidence. I want to make a difference in this world. And a lot of causes are going to fade, but this one won't. And God has spoken to his people. And I'm convicted this word is truth. And I have compassion for you and I want you to know him. And I have the confidence that this word can change you too. And when you have those three things, that will give you the boldness to overcome shyness, overcome reticence, overcome a fear of rejection, to tell your friend, can I show you the light that I found? Can I lead you to a place that's given light to me? And you find the way to do it and the expression that makes sense to you. But the reality is the world is hemorrhaging in pain and people are hurting for answers. And God has spoken and his word is at work in the believers. And it's powerful to see what God is doing in the lives of people, even here in D.C. And if you don't know him, I want you to know Jesus Christ has come for you. And nobody's too far gone. Paul's a testimony to that. So is a lot of us up on this stage. Nobody's too far gone. And the grace of God has come for you. When you put your faith in Jesus, he says, I go to work in you. I change you from the inside out. And as you get to know this word, I want to encourage you at the end. What I'm trying to do right now is not give you tactics to wrap around your life and your heart's not changed. Because the world doesn't need that. 
So the end of this message isn't so dust off your gospel tracks and start walking around the office and start, start putting them on people's desks, right? Like that's not what I'm saying. They need to see a change from the inside out. I'm convicted this is true. And I'm convicted that I love you and this can change you. Because here's the thing, I, I took my kids to the zoo here in DC last summer and I took them to see the dinosaurs. Uh, they weren't real. I don't know if any of you saw that. Very disappointing to my kids because they were like, we are going to see dinosaurs. And they showed up at the zoo and after a few minutes, they're like, and he's repeating the same motions. And then they were like, yeah, I don't think he's real. And as soon as they realized that, like you got the skin of a dinosaur, but this is all mechanics in here. Complete loss of respect. There's like, I don't respect this guy. Big T-Rex leaned down and just roared in my seven-year-old's face, like, rah, and she was like, rah. Like, I don't care. Like, they had to post a sign that said, please don't climb on the dinosaur. There was so little respect for the dinosaur, they had to plead with children to not pick on it. But then before we left, we walked by the tiger cage, and we saw the tiger get up from laying down, and he walked over and then he just put his paws on the door. That was the door between him and the lion cage. Like he knew something was going down and he just wanted to be close to it. And so we walked around the other side and this female lion got up and she just started going, and we were like, and I remember my little four-year-old son's look. He just turned and looked at me like, and I went, son, if you ever hear that in real life, run, climb a tree, man, because that will kill you. That is something to take serious. So we don't need fake dinosaurs. We need real lions. And I don't need you to put an external of religion around a dead system. I want you to have the righteousness that makes you as bold as a lion. I want you to know a God will change you from the inside out. Because when people see that, that majesty will force people to take you seriously. See, I'm seeing the work of God in your life. Tell me about what you found. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.